Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, good evening, and welcome to today's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. I am Frank Price, board member of the Northern California Peace Corps Association and a Shriver Circle member of the National Peace Corps Association. I served in Cote d'Ivoire. It is my pleasure to introduce uh, the distinguished members of our panel and experts on the Peace Corps. Uh, first, we have Peace Corps Director Jody K. Olson. Director Olson was sworn into the office as the 20th Director of the Peace Corps on March 2018. Director Olson began her career as a Peace Corps volunteer serving in Tunisia 1966 to 1968. Olson has championed the expansion of service, learning, and international opportunities for Americans of all backgrounds. Next, we have the president of the National Peace Corps Association, Glenn Blumhorst. The NPCA, or the National Peace Corps Association, is a 501c3 enterprise at the center of a community of more than 180 grassroots affiliate groups and 235,000 individuals who share the Peace Corps experience. Founded in 1979 and headquartered in Washington, D.C., NPCA's mission is to champion lifelong commitment to Peace Corps ideals. Bloomhurst launched his career by serving in the Peace Corps as a volunteer in Guatemala from 1988 to 1991. And we also have Andrew Wilson, Director of the Office of the Third Goal and Return Volunteer Services, and we will hear from him later. So we're going to start, first of all, welcome our panel, and we're going to start with uh, Director Olson. We would like to have you uh, uh, give a brief introduction, and then we'll ask you some questions. Thank you very much. I want to say a special hello to our family of returned Peace Corps volunteers in Northern California. Thanks for your service. And thanks to you, Frank Price, for the invitation <laughs> and for your service in Cote d'Ivoire. I'm so delighted to be joined by my fellow panelist and friend, Glenn Blumhorst from NPCA, and also Andrew Wilson, Director of the Office in Third Goal and Return Peace Corps Vol from uh, Returned Peace Corps volunteer from Senegal, 1994 to 1997. And also Dr. Karen Becker, our Associate Director for Health Services, David Walker, our Associate Director for Recruitment and Placement, and Shannon Kendrick, the Director of all our relationships with other agencies who helped put this whole event together tonight. Thank you. As I think most of you know, we've had almost 6,000 returned Peace Corps volunteers who have served from Northern California since Peace Corps inception 60 years ago. And most of you on the call are familiar with who we are as Peace Corps. In 60 years, almost 250,000 volunteers have served in 142 host countries, 143 with Vietnam coming up in the next few months, almost half today serve in Africa, 20% in Central and South America, 13% in Eastern Europe and Central Asia, 12% in Asia, and then the rest in Caribbean and the Pacific Islands. Now, I said today, I should have said up through March 15th, because due to the COVID-19, all volunteers returned to the United States in March 2020. And that was the most by far difficult decision I have ever made in my life. And it, we evacuated all our volunteers in eight days, 61 countries, country borders and international flights were closing by the hour 
not even waiting a day. We could not wait even a day. The extraordinary whole of agency response that showed the commitment of ministries, counterparts, host families, communities, embassies, airlines, and US families, and importantly, OMB and Congress, which helped tweak our authority to be able to give maximum health, financial, and job support to returning and quarantining volunteers. I wanna take a moment to publicly honor and thank the 7,000 returning volunteers for being strong and resilient through this once in a lifetime traumatic experience. Our focus now for the entire agency, our 61 countries, our new countries, is to return Peace Corps to full strength over the next year to two years. In doing so, we have full support of all our countries of service. We have full support in each country continuing the planning for our return. We have full support from Congress in sustaining our budget to ensure our return. And we have almost 2,400 evacuated return volunteers who have indicated an interest in returning and a very rich pool of applicants ready and eager to serve when we return. We are returning humbly and in partnership with ministries from each country of service. We are being invited and showing that our health protocols ensure safety for everyone. We go back responding to the primary program interests in each of these countries, interests dictated in part by each country's own journeys through COVID-19. And we go back different, having shared a global pandemic. We will share and learn from that impact together, side by side, country by country. Our first volunteers begin returning in January to at least St. Lucia, one of the first five countries of Peace Corps in 1961, and Cambodia, and maybe another coming right up. The COVID-19 pandemic has not only highlighted racial and social economic inequities in our country, but countries abroad as well. We are working through our own necessary changes, even as our host country national staff in countries are understanding the US and their own realities around racial and social economic inequities. This pandemic has highlighted global interconnectedness and with it an increased need for people who can effectively and sensitively navigate cross-cultural differences for the purpose of building just and equitable systems and building sustainable peace. This need speaks directly to our continued rele relevance. Humility, partnership, a global conversation based on a global experience. We are now beginning the celebration of our 60th year one new pilot program that represents how we look forward to this next decade was launched six weeks ago, a virtual service program. 47 evacuated return volunteers are virtually donating five to 15 hours a week of time to ministry and host country national staff designed and supported community projects in nine countries for 10 weeks. The success so far opens additional opportunities for return volunteers to virtually serve in Peace Corps supported projects in the future.
My service in Peace Corps in each of these past six decades, and particularly now as Peace Corps director, strengthens my strong belief that Peace Corps' mission of world peace and friendship is as relevant today as it was in 1961, and even more so in these next decades. We must work together to ensure that that mission continues into the future. At this point, I would love to turn it to Andrew Wilson to talk about the domestic dividend as part of the third goal of Peace Corps. Uh, thank you, Director Olson, for giving me a few minutes to speak tonight. And obviously, thanks to the Commonwealth Club for hosting this event. And also thanks to all the RPCBs joining today for your service and for many of your support for the evacuated volunteers that, that Director Olson spoke of. I know that many individuals and many groups have gone to great lengths to support these evacuated RPCBs. And I know the support has been incredibly meaningful to so many people's lives. So I just want to take a few minutes today for uh, remarks on one of the initiatives that we are helping to lead out of the office that I manage, uh, that Director Olson mentioned, the domestic dividend. Uh, and the office, again, that I manage is the Office of the Third Goal and Return Volunteer Services. So Peace Corps has a wonderful history and legacy of sharing stories of volunteers and their impact in the communities and countries where they, where they serve. However, collectively, we need to do a better job of telling the stories of RPCBs here at home. It is not a secret to return volunteers about the impact that the services had on our lives and how it has helped each of us have a positive impact in our communities and in our careers here in the United States. We all know that RPCBs have a unique global perspective and skills that US communities, governments, and private sector in industries need so desperately. We know RPCBs are committed to civic engagement, service, diversity, and inclusion. And we know RPCBs are educating and inspiring a new generation of global citizens. The charge now is telling the story of how we've been able to take what we've learned and gained through our service and how we've leveraged those positive attributes into important and meaningful contributions here in the United States. It also means moving beyond just sharing stories into developing a quantitative and replicable methodology for capturing data about this impact, or what we call, again, as the director mentioned, the domestic dividend of the Peace Corps. And over the last several months, we've been building a framework for improving how we capture and analyze and share this data around the domestic dividend. It's also important to realize that as we capture and, and analyze the value of this work, it extends, it extends beyond just our ability to articulate the contributions of the agency of the United States. It helps Peace Corps be more persuasive to recruits that are assessing the value of joining the agency, and it helps set expectations for volunteers and during their service of what it means to continue to serve after they return home. So at the same time as we are working on developing the larger framework around the domestic dividend, that is not stopping us from moving forward now and celebrating the amazing work of the RPCB community, which is particularly important as the director mentioned in this year of the 60th anniversary. One of the efforts underway that I wanna highlight is the resumption of the agency level Peace Corps awards, including the Franklin H. Williams Award, which recognizes ethnically diverse returned Peace Corps volunteers who develop or demonstrate a lifelong commitment to civic engagement, service, diversity, inclusion, world peace, and the Peace Corps third goal. The award nomination form is actually active uh, on the Peace Corps website right now. It's been live since October 14th and it actually closes tomorrow at midnight Eastern time. So I encourage everybody on the call today, if you have somebody in mind, please 
go to the Peace Corps website in the next 26 or so hours and make a nomination if you can. And the last thing I wanna to say to, to this evening is to close by saying, I know this panel is focused on the future of the Peace Corps. And I think what jumps immediately to people's minds is, is what happens in the future in the field and, and in the countries of service. But really I'd like to say the future of the Peace Corps is also the impact of our PCVs here at home each and every day. And so I wanna close with that and then turn it back to Director Olson. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. I'm now gonna answer the questions that Frank, you sent ahead of time, but I wanna begin with Andrew's closing comment. The reason why, one key reason why we're being invited by every one of our countries to return is because of the work that all Return Peace Corps volunteers have done as volunteers and back in the United States and the links back to the countries. It is the service, the lifetime of service is what keeps us strong and is gonna keep us strong these next few years. So now to the questions. One is how will the health of volunteers, how will they be safe and how is the health controlled? And this is particularly in relation to our going back. We are assessing healthcare capabilities in countries and developing risk mitigation strategies that ensure we can return Peace Corps back to service in countries step by safe, slowly and small number steps. We're collecting data from each country to access readiness to return. Factors such as adequate numbers of being tested, assessing healthcare facilities that can provide care and capabilities to be able to self safely shelter in place or emergency medevac plans if needed. And aha, vaccines. You've been hearing the news the last few days. We are working directly with the national, through CDC, with the National Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices at it, as it considers its vaccine rollout. The very good news is that it is likely that by the end of the second quarter of 2021, March or April, Peace Corps volunteers returning will be eligible to receive vaccine. Supplies should be able to meet the needs of almost all Americans, including PCVs returning to service. The US is also actively developing a plan to be able to offer vaccine worldwide, beginning in the next several months, which will positively affect our staff, our counterparts, and our work globally. The vaccine is not a magic bullet, but certainly provides a layer of perfection that masks, gloves, hygiene, and the social distancing cannot provide alone. Let me reaffirm, with this news and with the work we're doing, right with the distribution national committee that we are going to be able to move back to our posts a little faster than we thought we would be able to even just weeks ago. So what kinds of jobs are future volunteers most likely to be doing? And we think about this in part as the results of the pandemic. The goals of our work in education, health, agriculture, community, economic development, environment, and youth development remains the same, but there are adjustments to volunteer assignments and activities. For example, community economic development projects 
will have to adapt and respond to COVID-19 related challenges and opportunities for income generation in host communities, particularly for women. For example, in Eswatini, staff conducted a virtual glow camp that resulted in an income generating mask making project. I can see many more of these coming up in the next few months. TEFL teachers in countries with better technology infrastructure will be assigned to schools that are using virtual learning so they can teach online. TEFL math and science teachers in other countries will do more small group work again, outside and socially distanced. I also want to note that two countries that we're working with for going back and going to Vietnam and Uzbekistan that we're just beginning conversations with are also asking for the technology in English, English online, English curriculum online. In some African posts, volunteers will help develop educational programming for radio shows that will reach students who aren't able to attend school because of COVID and where there isn't a digital option. And as in the past, and I know many of you have had this experience, volunteers have always engaged in responses to public health interventions, whether smallpox eradication or response to HIV and AIDS. We also see ourselves responding to COVID-19. Where it makes sense in the local context, volunteers will engage in public health messaging, focusing on behavior change, mask wearing, social distancing, hand washing, to further the response to COVID-19 in their own communities. On hand washing, in some of the sites, volunteers will be able to introduce an appropriate technology water delivery system called a tippy tap. Typically made from locally available material, the Tippy Tap can be a very useful home water delivery system for a PCV for the households in their community to ensure regular and timely hand washing. Another question that you all asked is how will recruiting and training be different? Due to, due to the complexities of COVID-19, the Peace Corps recruitment team pivoted to a fully distance and virtual recruitment model in March. While we look forward to returning to in-person recruiting, connecting with the American public through local and national events and meeting one-on-one -on -one with those interested in learning more about Peace Corps remains the core of our work. Our website shows the upcoming recruitment events and recruiters. Even as things go back to normal, as we think to the future, we'll be combining our face-to-face -face recruiting events with virtual recruiting events, another way that our future is changing. Now, another question you asked was, what will the qualifications for future Peace Corps volunteers be? Peace Corps identifies the required and desired skill for an assignment based on the programming needs expressed by our host country partners. Currently, our largest programming areas are education and health. This is a trend that has existed over the past decade and that continues to be reflected in the requests that we see from new countries soliciting project assistance from Peace Corps. Most recently in Montenegro, Sri Lanka, and Vietnam. Most Peace Corps assignments have host government requirements 
of either a college degree or several years of professional work experience, and some assignments do require specialized degrees or skills. Aha, what will countries do to request volunteers? We work actively, community by community, ministry by ministry, to see what ministries want, what local communities want. They make those requests to our Peace Corps country directors. Those requests then come in to Washington and become part of our recruiting strategy. But you note, it, the requests begin with the ministries, with the communities, with the schools for the volunteers. They request, we respond. Another question. There has been a lot of discussion about recruiting more Blacks and Indigenous volunteers. What steps will Peace Corps be undertaking to adapt to this request? Peace Corps currently has close relationships with universities and minority serving institutions that offer Peace Corps prep partnerships that support the recruitment of Black and Indigenous volunteers including Asian American and Native American Pacific Island serving institutions, Alaska Native, Native Hawaiian serving institutions, historically black colleges and universities and Native American non-tribal institutions. I wanna note that what the Peace Corps prep program is because it's important as we expand the diversity of our volunteers. Peace Corps prep begins when a student is a freshman and takes a certain number of courses in his or her subject area, as well as in languages and culture, and then gives certain number of hours of service during those four years. This enables people who are thinking about Peace Corps or have not even heard of Peace Corps yet as freshmen. They can begin thinking about Peace Corps as preparation opening avenues of preparation and interest years, at least four years before they actually serve. In its entirety, we have about 120 Peace Corps prep programs at colleges and universities, and we try to put a key focus on groups that we want to reach to that have not had an adequate chance to serve. I might note that a year ago, we had 7,300 Peace Corps volunteers in the field, of which 34% were defined as minority, which closely matches the United States, 34%. But we can do better, and we are going to do better. Another question you asked is, what will the training program be for future Peace Corps volunteers? During the quarantine period, when volunteers re-enter countries or when new trainees arrive, they'll have varying degrees of country mandated restrictions. Peace Corps is prepared to provide tablets to volunteers and conduct reorientation and training virtually during those first two weeks, again in quarantine, and given when in-person training is not feasible. And again, this is a tool we're testing, we're working with that can be expanded much further as we assess its functional value as volunteers go into communities of service. Peace Corps volunteers are gonna augment its training on country specific cultural norms. 
with how to stay healthy in a culturally respectful way. Some posts will use PACA approach, which is the community engagement approach to identify myths and assumptions about COVID-19 that volunteers need to be aware of and really to help facilitate their interaction and their integration into communities. I appreciate the questions. Hopefully they give a fair amount of specificity of how we're going back. But I wanna come back to that, those words I used earlier. We are about the future. We are about who we can be for countries around the world and then what we can bring back for the United States. We live with the change. We're part of the change. And yet we know that our mission and our goals are as important now and going forward as they were 60 years ago. With that, let me turn it to you, Frank, and then to Glenn to continue. Thank you very much, Director Olson. Glenn, um, can you please tell us about MPCA? Thank you very much, uh, Frank. But first and foremost, just uh, a big thank you to you. It's a, a pleasure to be here. Thank you to all the attendees that have joined us. Uh, special thanks to the Commonwealth Club for hosting this event tonight and to Northern California to working, working to put it on. I'm just simply delighted to be here at the Commonwealth Club, uh, which has played such a pivotal role in the nation, national conversation for more than a century. As many of you know, Sergeant Shriver spoke here in 1963 as his whole uh, audacious Peace Corps project had just gotten, gotten started. And of course, uh, FDR rolled out the idea of a new deal here and Martin Luther King spoke here. And then in 1968, uh, Robert F. Kennedy gave a very stirring speech here in which he asked, what do we stand for? And the liberation of the human spirit was the response. So that I think in, in many ways makes for a great touchstone, touchstone for our conversation tonight and the direction in which the Peace Corps community is going. I also, uh, first, and before we get started on these questions, Frank, I want to just give a, a big shout out, a moment of gratitude for Director Jody Olson uh, and her leadership in what I think we can consider a turbulent times. Um, I think there's no better person to have been at the helm of the Peace Corps during these moments that we've shared over the last uh, several months and even before that, uh, the year, uh, three years almost that she's been at the helm. Um, it's sad to think that her tenure could be possibly coming to an end. I've been just so privileged and honored to share the stage with her so many times, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to share the stage with her again tonight, virtually. I also Glenn, Glenn, thank you, thank you. And I feel equally honored to share the stage with you. We're, we make a good team. We do, we do, Jody, thank you so much. And you know, I just wanna applaud you. You have really um, highlighted there how well the Peace Corps has done to uh, focus on getting volunteers back out to the field. And I think on behalf of the entire Peace Corps community, I would just really like to thank you for your dedicated leadership and all that you've done to work hard and under all these conditions to make sure that Peace Corps is going back into the field as soon as it can and uh, that the volunteers were evacuated safe and sound from their countries of service. And your foremost priority as it was demonstrated in that was the safety and security of the volunteers. So we're very grateful for you as a community. So thank you very much. Frank, would you mind asking me the question again? I'm sorry. It, tell us about the MPCA. I know sure. about it, but tell the rest. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Frank. Well, you did introduce it a little bit there with your opening comments. Uh, again, I'll repeat that we are a private uh, organization. We're a 501c3 organization. And to clarify, we are separate from the Peace Corps agency. 
but we do have a very close and collaborative and cordial relationship with the Peace Corps. Uh, that is um, due in large part to uh, the leadership of the Peace Corps, Jody uh, at this time, and prior to that, Carrie Hessler-Redlett and the Peace Corps directors who've served before them. Uh, we have, uh, we forged an MOU, a memorandum of understanding that uh, embraces that relationship that we have. Uh, from time to time, we, we may not necessarily agree on things or we may advocate separately or distinctly for issues, but nonetheless, we have a friendly relationship and a collaborative relationship and we're gonna keep it that way uh, for the future as well. Um, we also uh, were established ourselves as, a, as you mentioned 40 years ago uh, by returned Peace Corps volunteers. And we were started as a membership organization, a dues collecting membership organization. But we've really evolved over the years in particular more recently as a community driven social impact organization. And essentially I like to say we're the Peace Corps NGO. So we're your NGO, we're your, your social impact organization uh, we drop dues. It's become free and open to anyone who wants to join and be a part of it. And we just simply encourage engagement uh, from anyone and everyone who wants to be a part of our 180 affiliate groups uh, around the country and around the world, quite frankly, uh, in any efforts that we undertake, whether it be mobilizing for advocacy for the Peace Corps and Peace Corps related issues, leadership of those grassroots organizations, the affiliate groups around the country, or getting involved on our board of directors, uh, any any way that you want to get involved, uh, we welcome you to be a part of the NPCA. So, uh, can you explain to us what the vision, the mission, and the goals of the NPCA are? Yes, I think um, these vision, mission, and goals of the NPCA, I should stress, were set by the community itself. Uh, we undertook a listening tour and then a strategic planning process. Um, and uh, the vision that the NPCA holds is to see a united and vibrant Peace Corps community. That is uh, ultimately the, the vision of success for, for, our, for our organization. And we do so by championing lifelong commitment to Peace Corps ideals. We see Peace Corps service uh, starting uh, even before your Peace Corps service, uh, during it certainly, and then afterwards for a lifetime. So we want to champion those values of the Peace Corps uh, forever in our lives. Uh, we have kind of three practice areas we call our pillars. Uh, these align with our strategic goals. One is to help Peace Corps be its, its best. And, and, and we do that in, in many ways, but first and foremost is to advocate uh, by uh, community engagement for um, the appropriations for Peace Corps, its annual funding, uh, as well as legislation that supports the uh, strengthening of the Peace Corps, uh, especially in, in these times benefits uh, for returned Peace Corps volunteers in areas where we believe the Peace Corps can, can be reformed and improved. We also uh, have a second pillar, which is all about our community and strengthening the, the uh, capacity of our community. Uh, we do that by working through our affiliate groups. As I mentioned, we have 150 of them, including Northern California PCA uh, around the country. And our support is to provide uh, services to them and promote their activities and, and uh, provide sometimes in many cases, technical support uh, such as membership platforms and, and web services. But we also support the members uh, of our community individually uh, through our um, support for jobs, academics, uh, getting them involved in uh, volunteer opportunities, uh, providing opportunities for continued impact uh, around the world. And that's our third pillar essentially is just to amplifying the global social impact of our return Peace Corps volunteer community. So we provide support to return Peace Corps volunteers, technical um, and as well in many cases through our community fund uh, support, financial support to the projects of returned Peace Corps volunteers as they launch and scale up. 
how do RPCVs, Return Peace Corps volunteers, hear about uh, the, the MPCA? Great question, uh, Frank. Uh, regrettably, sometimes it's by word of mouth or the grapevine. Uh, we are working with the Peace Corps leadership, and Andrew and Jody in particular have, have identified with us ways that we can help uh, RPCVs find out about uh, NPCA because uh, there is essentially a legal firewall between the two of us, and which does not allow Peace Corps to share the contact information of, of the uh, returned Peace Corps volunteers. But we want to build a strong continuum of service uh, from pre-service, uh, during service, and post-service. So we're working to establish ways that Peace Corps can help uh, create that pipeline so that RPCVs can find their way to NPCA, get the support and services that they need for transition back to their uh, homes here in the U.S. and to their careers and academics beyond that. So uh, we uh, certainly uh, promote our activities uh, uh, on the internet and in particular through our website. Uh, I'll just mention uh, you can find us at rpcv.org. Uh, pretty easy to remember, and uh, sign up for our e-newsletter so that you can be informed and engaged and connected on all Peace Corps issues related to NPCA. Where, where do you get your funding? So many people think that we receive federal funding or we're, <laughs> we fund it by dues. Um, as I mentioned, we dropped our dues several years ago. We wanted it to be free and open and inclusive to anyone and everyone who wants to join. Um, that includes family and friends and host country nationals and former staff, not just RPCVs uh, themselves. So it is a community that is open and inclusive. Um, so uh, we, uh, we don't collect dues anymore. So we don't have any dues revenue and we don't receive federal funding, but we rely on the generous contributions of our community who individually and collectively uh, support our organization with their very generous gifts um, from a dollar to a million dollars. So. We have a range of donors that support our mission, and I'm very grateful for those of you out there who have been uh, financially supportive of our mission. It really is important, and we thank you for uh, supporting this great mission that we have. Well, the big defining moment for me in, in this year was the evacuation of volunteers. How did NPCA respond to that evacuation? Well, first and foremost, let me just stress again that um, hats off to Jody Olson there at the Peace Corps. I think I was probably one of the first people she called and, and shared this news with, and I hope so anyway. It felt like it anyway. And, um, you know, from that day forward, uh, Jody and I think we're on the phone at least once a week, uh, if not more often, and she was sharing with us uh, real-time updates on the evacuation. Um, she was also allowing me to share with her the concerns that we were picking up in the chatter uh, around the community um, and helping uh, you know, uh, improve the process, the communications. Uh, you know, certainly something like this is a tremendous feat and, and there's going to be you know, maybe a few snafus, but uh, as I said again earlier, uh, the evacuation uh, was I think very effectively and efficiently completed. But we, we started that early coordination and, and communication on a regular basis and then NPCA did advocate to the Peace Corps leadership for certain things that we heard uh, returning Peace Corps volunteers asking for. And, one of, you know, Jody was very responsive to that. And, uh, you know, we saw that there were changes and adjustments made in, in the process and very grateful for that um, because uh, that was very important in this traumatic situation for the returning Peace Corps volunteers to feel cared for and, and feel uh, taken care of in their transition. We also launched a new program that we had been starting to set up. Uh, we call it Global Reentry. Um, this is uh, the way that we helped our returning Peace Corps volunteers, evacuated Peace Corps volunteers, uh, connect with their community here at home 
it's really important for them to find those affiliate groups around the country and that pertain to their country of service so that they can feel that warm embrace, if you will, welcoming embrace from our community as they come back from their service, particularly in, in the conditions that they did. Uh, but we also launched uh, uh, amplified services for return Peace Corps volunteers focused on jobs and careers, resumes, re resume reviews, uh, helping open opportunities with academic uh, institutions. We then also uh, opened our community fund, which is a small grants fund uh, to support the uh, secondary projects of evacuated Peace Corps volunteers who had to um, end those projects and return their funds, uh, but they wanted to continue them. And so we were able to fund uh, about 15 projects of evacuated Peace Corps volunteers with small grants and enable them to, to do so in keeping the, the Peace Corps spirit alive in their villages around the world. Uh, one of the things too we saw was the opportunity for returning Peace Corps volunteers, particularly these evacuees to be uh, part of the COVID response and uh, stopping the spread of COVID here in the United States. Of course, many of them immediately jumped in and, and found themselves involved one way or another. And if you had a chance a few days ago, you heard Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, uh, express his gratitude for the returned Peace Corps volunteers, the hundreds of them around the country that have worked in response to the COVID um, uh, fight. And uh, in particular, he thanked uh, NPCA and returned Peace Corps volunteers that were launching their effort in King County up in Seattle, Washington. Uh, so RPCD is getting involved in that was very important to us and um, really helping them engage uh, in proactive uh, and productive uh, activities here once they came home. We also found ourselves very interestingly to be kind of the, the, the Capitol Hill help desk for the Peace Corps. Uh, we had just finished our, our day of advocacy on the Hill uh, about a week earlier, uh, two weeks, I guess. Uh, so immediately our phones literally were ringing off the walls. Our, our Zoom calls were Zooming from members of Congress wanting to know how they could help the returned Peace Corps volunteers and seeking guidance and uh, inputs from National Peace Corps Association uh, on how to help Peace Corps, returning Peace Corps volunteers in particular with their benefits and entitlements um, as well as the future funding of the Peace Corps. Uh, we were able to rally a large number of returning volunteers, especially evacuees to uh, help advocate to Congress for uh, certain issues, uh, but uh, as a result of that, we saw a supplemental funding of $88 million uh, in one of the relief packages, which is, I think, very important for Peace Corps. It was also an early signal of the congressional support for Peace Corps uh, for the future, uh, so this is a very important for us to see. And uh, till now, we even have several pieces of legislation that are still pending, uh, both in House, House and Senate. Uh, these are generally companion bills um, mimicking each other in the House and Senate that are designed in particular to enhance the, the benefits, uh, enhance and extend, I should say, the benefits to the evacuated Peace Corps volunteers and ensure the prompt uh, return of Peace Corps volunteers to the field and uh, open opportunities for them to serve uh, in other capacities as well. We're focused in particular on future funding now, Frank. Um, and uh, you may have seen in the last couple of days, the Senate uh, presented a recommendation for a uh, $359 million budget for the Peace Corps. Uh, this represents a $51 million budget cut uh, for FY21. And uh, while the House uh, proposed or recommended a, a level funding of $410 million for the Peace Corps, uh, this tells us that we have some work to do uh, in advocating for Peace Corps to maintain funding and uh, it, it's hard to bring it back up again if it, if it gets cut uh, significantly. We believe that uh, Peace Corps is showing uh, that it can return to the field promptly and with uh, relatively sound numbers of volunteers. 
and we want to continue to see the support in Congress, that's going to require our community to really rally behind the Peace Corps uh, in the coming years. Uh, I was most fortunate to be able to, to, to watch and take part in the town halls and the summit. Can you give us a, a brief report of what that was, what it was about? Yeah, thanks for participating. I know many people, thousands of individuals participated in those town halls and, and summit this summer. They were in July, uh, a series of eight uh, town halls, and then an idea summit, as we caused it, called it. But let me just say, first and foremost, this, this was also driven by the Peace Corps community. Following the evacuations, uh, our community, uh, like it is, uh, very mobilized and, and activated, uh, started these conversations in our community about the return of the Peace Corps to the field, about the future of the Peace Corps. Um, so uh, that compelled us uh, in response to host uh, these events that we, we, were, we considered open forums for uh, community conversation. At the same time, uh, we had seen uh, the uh, George Floyd killing rec uh, result in a reckoning with uh, racial injustice in, in, in our country and the importance of taking a stand as a community, which NPCA did. We, we issued a, a, a statement in that regard and have demonstrated that we are committed to supporting uh, work uh, to strive for racial justice. Um, but all of these conversations in our community uh, led to uh, these town halls and the summit in July. And as a product, product of that, um, there was a report that has uh, been prepared uh, following this summit. It essentially asked uh, two major questions. One, should Peace Corps continue? Um, and the answer is a resounding yes. It does great good. It has done great good for 60 years and it will continue to do so. And it's very important to, to everyone that Peace Corps continue. Uh, but the second question is, what should it look like when it reemerges? Re and, you know, I think Jody's even already given us a hint of what it does look like as it reemerges. And as you heard her say, there's, there's many things in there that are being done differently as Peace Corps has recalibrated and reset itself for the future. So I commend her, in particular, on her leadership. I, I think many of the things that we see uh, emerging from these town halls and the summit are, and in this report are already being implemented by the Peace Corps under her leadership. So. We're very grateful for that. There, there are three overarching themes, though, that I, that I want to just uh, stress. One is that the Peace Corps community must be a leader in this space of addressing systemic racism. That It's a cross-cutting theme throughout the eight different areas of the town halls and in the recommendations that are found in this report. Uh, we must take the leadership in fostering diversity, equity, and inclusion in our own community and in society. So it's, it's first and foremost, I think, as one of the overarching themes uh, that emerges from this report. Secondly, is that um, the Peace Corps agency itself and NPCA, we must leverage our relationship for the better. And this is in particular around the third goal. Uh, again, we, we heard uh, a number of uh, comments about and, and uh, recommendations about how the two organizations, NPCA and Peace Corps, can address this dis disconnect between the Peace Corps and the NPCA, rebuild that continuum of service and that pipeline from Peace Corps into National Peace Corps Association, uh, believing that what's, what's good for one is good for the other. So as, as we can engage more and more of our community in uh, third goal activities, we're going to have a profound effect here in the United States as we bring the world home and, and, and share uh, those visions of friendship uh, and understanding across cultures and countries. Finally, the, the report just simply says, be bold to be better. That, that, that it's time for the Peace Corps to make bold changes and, and uh, address these uh, systemic issues at the root 
uh, implement these recommendations uh, that are very strategic. Um, they're um, organized in a way that we believe can be used for execution uh, by the agency, by NPCA, I should say as well. Uh, there are recommendations in there for NPCA as well that we take to heart. Um, and um, these th these recommendations and this report, you know, it really reflects uh, first and foremost, I think, the, the voices of the evacuated Peace Corps volunteers, but it also re reflects the voices of veteran returned Peace Corps volunteers, those who served in the early days of the Peace Corps or in the 80s like I did. Uh, but it also reflects the voices of the host country nationals and the countries that we serve. Uh, so it is a collection of the voices of the Peace Corps community. And uh, it is something that has been reviewed by our advisory council that was formed for this particular purpose. They have compiled this report. And so they um, really have been responsible for synthesizing and bringing these ideas together in a way that we believe can be constructive for both NPCA, the Peace Corps, and informative for Congress, informative for the White House, uh, for Na National Peace Corps Association's leadership, as well as the Peace Corps leadership current and in the future, whoever that might be. So I just want to reiterate again that uh, Director Olson has done, I think, a great job advancing many of these issues. National Peace Corps Association is working as well on many of them. We've written many of them into our operating plan uh, for next year and have worked on uh, implementing uh, the, implement, the recommendations that were addressed to National Peace Corps Association as well. This report is going to be published tomorrow. Uh, look for it in um, our news outlets um, and we'll be sharing it broadly. Um, uh, so if there's any questions about it, I'm happy to entertain those by email or phone call or however you want to reach me. Well, thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Director Olson. Thank you, President Blumhurst. I like that name, President Blumhurst. Um, <laughs> I'd like to present you some questions from the audience. Uh, I'm just going to take them in the order in which I got them. It said, you did the right thing, Jody, by bringing the PCVs home earlier this year due to COVID-19. More of a statement than a question. Um, but I have a question for you. Has the Peace Corps ever been in Cambodia? Yes. Uh, Peace Corps has been in Cambodia. I'm trying to think how long we've been there. It's probably going on 15 years. Someone might correct me. And it has been a very strong, very stable program. And I feel particularly excited that it is our number two country. It might even outpace St. Lucia. We're in a little battle here as to which day in January they go back. But we might have our first two volunteers back to Cambodia the end of the first week in January. Okay, um, here's a question. I'm interested in knowing the current status of relations between Peace Corps and the government in China. How has it changed since the evacuation last December? Well, we are and had made a decision earlier to do a phase out of the China program. And so we have been continuing that phase out of the China program. The volunteers left a little more quickly than what we had anticipated because of COVID. But with that, we're continuing that phase out. Okay. Um, could you address this perspective from one, one listener? Since American residents cannot even go to Europe right now, the idea of Peace Corps volunteers returning to Peace Corps countries in January is unrealistic and even irresponsible? Um, I'm gonna say no. <laughs> I understand because I think about, you notice which countries. Uh, we have a very specific detailed checklist 
that have 35 health elements on it that have to be met before we can consider returning. And among those elements is, as I said before, uh, well alluded to before, that every volunteer will have to have a test before getting on an airplane and will do 14 days of quarantine when arriving in the country. Everything that we do in the country will meet all the standards of that country. And the countries that we're returning to are the ones that have brought COVID under control or never lost control uh, in the beginning. But we have to meet these criteria to be able to go. And so we have many countries that will not be on that list for the near future for just the reasons that were alluded to in that question. Um, as an evacuated PCV, I am interested in knowing when ePCVs who applied for reinstatement or re-enrollment can expect to return to service. Well, that's, a, I wish that were an easy question, but it's a complicated question <laughs> because the, the answer is dependent on when the countries are available. And so, uh, you know, the very first ask is for those that had been in uh, St. Lucia. The second ask are for those that have been in Cambodia. The third ask is going to be given next week, but I can't give the name yet. And other asks will start coming up. So to come to the answer, it can be in it can be for a return in February, a return in March, a return in May, a return in June. But what's important, and I'm hoping the person who asked the question is at least getting uh, notes from us, because we're we are sending notes out at least monthly, or about monthly, saying, you know, are you still interested? These are things that are happening. This is what we're doing, so that we can stay in touch. But the process of return is really one that is going to be occurring over this next year. In view of recent articles on problems in healthcare in Comoros and China, are there changes planned for voluntary safety? I think you already addressed the China situation. Uh, uh, yes, yes. And the what we've been able to do during this particular time without volunteers, we have done reviews to strengthen the healthcare, to strengthen health delivery, to strengthen our health systems, the same with programming, the same with training, the same with language learning. We have rewritten, reworked, retested so much of what we do. And one of the exciting elements, I mean, you try to make lemonade out of this experience that we're all trying to have here, that we're having whether we wanted to have it or not, is that our partnerships with host country national staff has been such an extended teamwork because we're all together on the Zoom calls. I was on the Zoom call today with all the IT specialists around the world. And we were talking, how are these tablets gonna work as those first volunteers go back? But those are the same components for strengthening the healthcare and the training and the site development, working side by side, staff in country and us here. Okay, this is for both Andrew and Glenn. So each of you have a chance here. I've heard a couple of returned Peace Corps volunteers say they found readjustment difficult, huge contrast in standard of living, et cetera. Have you observed this? Would you care to comment? Glenn, you want to start? You'd like me to go? 
Um, I'll go first, and since you offered, thanks, Andrew. Sure. Uh, uh, Frank, I would say yes. Uh, transition has been difficult for many. If you can imagine being abruptly uprooted from your communities around the world and, and given hours to be put on a plane and sent home, and uh, not really being able to say goodbye, and not certainly planning or expecting uh, this type of a, of a end of your service, um, you know that trauma in itself is is difficult. On top of the just the normal uh, transition back to the U.S. and um, you know, in many cases, volunteers had no plans for the future. They weren't prepared for, for uh, this. And so it makes it extremely difficult. And that's why it's so important for us uh, as a community to be here and uh, with open arms, welcome them back and, and let them know we're here to listen and hear their stories. And we don't mind them telling their stories hours on end and, and listening to their experiences and, and that we understand and empathize with them. And so the community, I think, is first and foremost responsible for uh, creating that environment uh, for a transition back. Um, but yes, we, we do hear of even some extreme cases of individuals who fall on hard times as a result of, of their return home, even under normal circumstances. So in particular, I think we're on the lookout and trying to be aware of any RPCVs out there that in particular were among the evacuees that may need special attention or special support. We, we have a fund especially dedicated to that uh, for some of these acute cases, uh, uh, it's a benevolent fund for situations where there may be needs that uh, volunteers can't meet. But I think more than anything is just uh, just being there as a community to support them uh, is, is the most important thing that we can do. And, and, and yeah, what Glenn said there was was a completely completely accurate and, and really spot on thinking about us as a, as a community and the support that's provided. Uh, two really inspirational things, stories that I've uh, you know, been involved, not been involved with, but I've talked to people about. One is the Alliance for Ukraine, one of the affiliate groups that started really within days of the evacuation, uh, a mentorship group uh, where they had uh, members that were members of the membership of the Alliance Ukraine reached out to people that were coming back from Ukraine and made connections with them, had really positive, powerful experience. And when they actually did a survey, and got responses from the people that were involved, heard from both sides, both the mentors and the mentees, how important that was for the transition. And then also you think about all the networking and all the sort of support that happens spontaneously uh, and sort of self-organizes on social media, a really good uh, RPCB group on Facebook that has almost 10,000 members. And you could see really from, from day one, how that organized and could find people places to stay, get the money if they needed to, to help them with career support and jobs and really powerful way the community can use these new tools to spontaneously self-organize and help uh, the larger community and help folks as they came back. So uh, really thinking about us as a family, as a community and how we support each other. Glenn, this is for you. Uh, I heard NPCA is moving headquarters in DC. Can you explain why? Certainly. Uh, well, for many years, we've occupied a little space space on um, L Street uh, next to the Peace Corps offices in Washington, D.C., uh, but it's time for the Peace Corps community to have its own home. So we have uh, recently moved uh, across town. We'll be uh, occupying a building. I'm going to share here in my background. This is what Peace Corps Place will look like. This is where we're going to be moving to. Uh, this is your home, uh, the Peace Corps community, and we'll be about two blocks away from the uh, Peace Corps headquarters in the Noma area, uh, in Truxton Circle neighborhood, which is right behind us there. A, a lot of, uh, it's a really artistic and vibrant community that we'll be a part of there. And uh, we, this will give the Peace Corps community an opportunity to interact with the local neighbor, uh, neighborhood residents, 
Uh, we will have uh, Worldview Cafe there, uh, a career resources center for returned Peace Corps volunteers, a gathering place for returned Peace Corps volunteers, and of course the NPCA offices on the top floor. So this is your home coming soon, probably in April of next year, is when we're anticipating opening the doors. Okay, uh, Director Olson, this is one for you. Uh, so person wrote, we will not have to have a vaccine before returning to service, is that correct? Um, what we're doing is we're, we're beginning the process, I say in January, very deliberately. And that the point that a vaccine becomes available, then the volunteers returning will have the vaccine. But initially we're, we're going forward without the vaccine. But as I said in the beginning, it means that every person getting on the plane is tested. Every person getting on the plane does not have comorbidity issues related to COVID. And everybody getting on the plane will get off the plane and go into two weeks of quarantine before beginning service in the country. Okay. Um, both of you, what do you see as the, uh, the future of the 60th anniversary? How is that going to be remembered, celebrated, commemorated? Uh, why don't we start with Director Olson first? Uh, yes, we, um, as, as we've been noting, we have begun the celebration and what we're, what are the, among the things that we're doing, we're not going to have events except for the awards as we go through the year with the Franklin Williams Award coming up next month. But we are each month celebrating a decade and we have been encouraging a lot of photos, a lot of stories, a lot of uh, blogs of people who have served during that decade. We also have uh, what we call a word, what do we call it, a word something. It's like a logo, but we can't use the word logo. And so we have that on everything so that what we're saying is that our return is related to the 60th year. That this is a year for the renewal of our return. We will have a special celebration virtually on March 1st, which was the day of the uh, executive order. And then working with the NPCA uh, to do something in the summer towards the late summer, which is when we get close to the celebration of when the legislation passed. But we are also reaching to our countries for them to be also communicating really almost on a weekly basis, stories about the impact of Peace Corps in those countries. All of this is active on our website and on our various uh, social media channels to put out there as broadly as we can get that this is the 60th year and we can celebrate what 240,000 return volunteers did, as well as the countries and the counterparts did. And this is where, I mean, turning to Glenn, because we're, we're really wanting to do this as closely as we can together so that our particular efforts completely complement each other so we can have a much bigger presence than we otherwise would. Glenn? Yeah, thanks, Jody. You're right. This is one of those areas where we have traditionally worked closely together on celebrating the anniversaries. And this is going to be, I think, a really special one. It's, it's going to be a moment where the, hopefully the pandemic is behind us and 
and we've we've gone through this period of reckoning and we, we really need to come together i think and unite as a community and and show you know what we are as a community and the leadership that we have uh, so uh, and what peace corps values stand for publicly in a way that the whole world can see so uh, we design our activities and events uh, so that we can promote Peace Corps and the Peace Corps ideals to the world, uh, particularly here in Washington, D.C., where we have a special celebration that will be held on July 29 through 31 um, here in Washington, D.C., on the campus of Howard University. And so it's, I think, very important that we start thinking about how we will join in that celebration. Uh, we're hoping uh, that conditions will permit that activity to be fully uh, in person. Uh, I know that remains to be seen, so we're planning for a hybrid event, both in-person and uh, virtual. Uh, but we need uh, to get together as a community, I think, and have that moment of togetherness uh, as a community, share our stories, uh, talk about the issues that are important to us, and mobilize our community for the future. So, And also to cut the ribbon over here at Peace Corps Place. We really want to welcome you there and, and have you be a part of your home. Uh, so we're looking forward to seeing you in July. Uh, we will also probably have a parade of flags as part of Peace Corps Connect, but uh, a lot of uh, exciting programmatic uh, uh, presentations for, for the community and by the community at our Peace Corps Connect uh, next year. And we're totally with you, Glenn. We're on it. This is a team effort. Unfortunately, yep. we've reached time for just a closing comment from a, a, a guest. It says, hope to see partnership with AmeriCorps as well to continue the pipeline and programming that the Obama administration expanded and of more diverse communities and access to AmeriCorps service. Um, and unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today's program. I wanna thank again, the Commonwealth Club for putting together this important program. I also wanna thank Doc, Dr. Director Olson, you could be a doctor, but Director Olson for your comments and all that you've done. Personally, I'm honored and thrilled to be able to share a stage with you. And also uh, uh, the CEO of MPCA, uh, Glenn, uh, for me, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Um, just to let you know, the club will soon be posting this video on its website at www.commonwealthclub.org. And I, Frank Price, and this club program is now concluded. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.